Father, as we open your word today, we know that it's your words. We know that every word that we see in Scripture has been breathed out by you. We know the promises are true. The promises that we have in Christ Jesus are are yes and amen, and we're thankful. Father, your word is given to sanctify us, to renew our minds and transform our lives. Father, I pray that I would faithfully teach and preach and that we would all faithfully listen to hear what you have for us pertaining to Christ and the good news of the gospel of Him. Thank you, Father, for this gathering and this time. May your spirit move. May you be glorified and Christ exalted. Amen. Good morning, Grace Fellowship Church. I was meeting with a a young lady this week, an unmarried young lady, and we were talking about where she is and her desires to be a wife and a mother. And as we were talking, it, it was it was pretty obvious that she had a great excitement and joy, Lord willing, for those roles in her life. If God would be so kind to bring her a husband and children, she was excited and joyful about the thought about that. But there was, not but, there seemed to be a greater excitement about being a mother. And so as I met with another lady of this church this week, and we were talking about that very same thing, it just brought me to a place of wanting to encourage us. And, you know, for some of us in here, we're not, we're not wives, and we may not be wives. And, um, we may not have children that we're living with, and so, but but this is to encourage us all, and and to to help us all to be able to encourage those that find themselves in different places in life. So so I thought about wives and mothers that I pastor now and that I've pastored through the years, and mainly who I pastor now. And I I was thinking that um, it really seems to be the case, and as I talked to this other lady, that there's. This, this, I am humbled by this church's, the ladies of this church, you mothers of this church, and how you joyfully be mothers. Through the struggles and the trials that come of being a mother, you find joy and fulfillment in it. And it's encouraging to me. And uh, my encouragement to you is to find the same level of joy and fulfillment in being wise. And actually to find a greater sense of joy and fulfillment in being wives. Because the, the women that I pastor, it, it, it seems to me it's easier to find joy and fulfillment in the struggles of motherhood than it is to find joy and fulfillment in the struggles of wifehood. That the trials and struggles of being a wife are not, are not lived out nearly as joyfully as being a mother. That, that the the joy and fulfillment that comes, I guess, naturally and then supernaturally of being a mother, my encouragement is that you would be praying for the grace of God to have you be as joyful and excited about fulfilling the wife of a role. For you that aren't yet married and you want to be wives someday, you don't be a mother without being a wife first. At least you don't be in God's design. And so one precedes the other. And there's a oneness to that. I was thinking about the men of the church that I pastor in, in a general sense, and is is that that I find the men finding greater joy and fulfillment in being husbands than they find joy in being fathers. That the that the struggles that children bring into men's lives, we don't want to tolerate nearly as well as the struggles our wives bring into our lives. I don't know if you find yourself in those places, but but whatever role God has us in. We ought to find joy and fulfillment in those roles. And and so, again, the, the priority of a wife is to be a wife. And 
the prayer of your mother is to be a mother, but you don't be a mother unless you're a wife. And, and you cleave to your husband, your, your children will leave. And you have a, 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 a job to do in them. And so um, finding the, the great, and so for you, you young women who someday will be married, that you would be looking forward to the joy of being a wife. To be fulfilled in being a wife. Even more than you might look forward to being a mother. And for you current wives and mothers that you would pray that God would be kind to you and gracious to you. To grow in you this joy. You know, I was talking to, again, a wife and she was talking about it's a lot easier for me to reconcile to my children when they sin than it is for me to reconcile to my husband when he sins. I'm a lot quicker to forgive and and live with joy around my children than around my husband. And why? I think that's... I don't want to devalue the one. I want to elevate the other. I want you to keep being joyful and fulfilled in being mothers, but I want you to find joy and fulfillment in being wives. I want you to find joy and fulfillment in being husbands and in being fathers. Whatever trials come, whatever sin is done against you and that you do, that, that we, would, we would remember women that are wives. Be joyful. Be fulfilled. Find your joy and your fulfillment in being a wife every bit as much as you do being a mother. Matter of fact, prioritize it. And be encouraged. And this... this as I, again, I was talking to this mother slash wife, wife slash mother, it just becomes obvious to me as I think about that. It's really not that hard to really be joyful about being a mom because they came from you. And there's a thing that God does in that uh, that, that, that I suppose is natural and not just supernatural. And for a husband, they didn't come from you. You don't have any sense of ownership, if you will, or, or authority. So, so, young women, look forward to being a wife. Because you may be a wife and a mother, and in God's providence, or a wife, in God's providence, you might not be a mother. But if you're a wife, you're a wife. And that, 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 that can be enough. And don't let those children replace the joy and fulfillment of being a wife and finding all that joy and fulfillment in being a mother. Be as quick to reconcile to your husbands as you are to your children. Husbands, be as quick to reconcile with your children as you are to your wife. Okay. I hope that was clear. Um, turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. And remember where we are in, in Luke's uh, gospel. Jesus has his, his face set towards Jerusalem because he knows that he's going to go back to glory. And the way we've been talking about that is he is, he is, he is looking forward to his ascension knowing that what comes between here and glory, return to glory, is is Calvary, is suffering. And that's the road that he's on as he's traveling towards Jerusalem. And he's resolved, he's, he's focused, he's hard-headed going in that direction. Today uh, we're going to look at verses 57 through 62 of chapter 9, so please stand and I will read that. Luke nine fifty seven. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You may be seated. One of, the, one of the benefits of expository preaching is that we just get to come to whatever's next and preach it. And, and I keep finding how much repetition there is in Christ's message in, in the Word of God. And I, I find also how, how, how much focus there is on things that we would not necessarily want to focus on. And, and you know, the, the church world that we live in, I think about Kenya. I go to Kenya, and, you know, as you know, we go to Kenya. And I think about the church I came from, and I think about many churches that I know of in the evangelical world, and, and they find themselves preaching on things that not like this passage. And if you expositorily preach, you just come to it and you preach it. And we see what God has to say about something. And, and uh, this this. This would be a great thing for every single pastor and every single church to, to preach through, to rightly divide this passage of Scripture for, for the people that sit in front of him. Uh, the, the, the heading in many of our Bibles, mine and probably yours, I don't know, in, in Luke chapter this section, the heading that's not inspired by God, but it's written in there to, to like give a category, is the cost of following Jesus. That's what you'll see as a heading for this, this section of Scripture in many Bibles, the cost of following Jesus. Um, back in September of 2010, uh, we preached through Matthew chapter 8, which is a parallel passage to this one. And... Uh, I titled the sermon back there, Jesus Responds to Easy Believism. And the reason was the context of the church I'd come out of and the world I lived in was a lot of easy believism. And so um, this is what, this, this, is, this is a passage that tells us there's, there's none of this, this easy believism. Jesus responds to easy believism. And and, and, and we dealt with in that sermon, and we will somewhat today, how how Jesus does not make following him easy at all. There's a cost to it. It, it, It's not an inconsequential thing to follow Christ. And I I know we all know this, but we want to think about this. Like, it's not an inconsequential thing. In today's passage, we'll, we'll see that word follow a number of times, and in the Greek, it's akalutheo, and, and it is in the present active tense. So what it means is, keep on following. So it's something you continue to do. So, so what we can know about this, and what we can know about our Christian life, is that the Christian life is not a one-time-and-done thing. It's a, it's a continual following of Jesus. We will continue to follow Him. For the rest of our lives... We will follow Jesus. We will follow Jesus to glory. Through trials and temptations. Through this world that we live in. And, and he expects, he tells us, his followers will give up much. There's a great cost of following Jesus. The, the title of the sermon the cost of following Jesus, or the free gift of salvation. But these two concepts in opposition to one another. The free gift of eternal life. Romans 5, verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift of by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ abounded for many. The forgiveness of our sins is a free gift. It's a free gift to be found in Christ Jesus. Romans six twenty three. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now that sounds like it's a free gift. It sounds like it doesn't cost anything. 
And I think it's clear it is. Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Salvation and eternal life is a free gift of God. It costs nothing. Christ paid it all. Jesus paid it all. So, so your salvation, my salvation, is, was free. It doesn't cost anything. You cannot, you cannot pay anything to obtain salvation. We did not pay anything to obtain eternal life. It's a free gift. Romans 10, 9, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. saved. Simply, simply believe and confess, and you will be saved. It is that simple. It is truly that simple. You believe, and you confess, Christ is Lord, and you will be saved. There's no cost to that. That is the way of salvation. And yet we do see Jesus say this as well in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So so the confession of belief has to be a confession of Belief of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, of He rose from the dead. It's not just saying, Lord, Lord. It is doing the will of my Father who is in heaven. To believe on Jesus is more than just saying some words. We do see that that salvation is a free gift from God to be obtained via faith faith that He gives us, to give us faith in Christ Jesus as Lord, our risen Lord, that is the free gift of salvation. And yet, this heading in your Bible, again, while not inspired, is absolutely true. There's a real cost of following Jesus. In verse 57 of today's passage, as they were going along the road, The word there for road is hadas, and it means road, path, way, or route. To travel, to be on a journey, to be in the process of traveling, traveling presumably for some distance. So so it says, as they're going along the road, what road, what path, what journey, what way was Jesus headed? Not, not the name of the road, but rather the destination of the road. Where, where was he headed? Remember, he was, his face was set toward Jerusalem. His, his face was set towards glory via Calvary. So the road he was on was a road that was headed to suffering, trials, agony, and glory. That's the road that he was on. That's the path he was taking. This, this word for haras, it's the same word we see in Matthew seven thirteen. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way, haras, is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way, haras, is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. This same word is in Acts 9. And ask him for letters to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way. Remember, Christianity was called the way in the book of Acts. Haras, the path. So if one is to follow Jesus, they are to be on the path that he traveled following his way. And this path is costly. This path is difficult. This path is challenging, and it is narrow. In, in Matthew's parallel account of this passage, we know that this man who came to him was a scribe. 
Uh, this is who approached him. And in Matthew's gospel, we see that he called him teacher or rabbi. He calls him a teacher. He, he would have been fully aware of the miracles that Jesus had been performing. He would have known all about his ministry in Galilee, his big following. He would, have, he would have been well aware that, that this man, Jesus, claimed to be the Messiah. He, he would have thought that this Jesus, was Jesus of Nazareth, was coming to make Israel a great nation, to, to bring them back to greatness, to, to provide health and wealth and prosperity to them. So he's coming to this Jesus who has this big crowd that's been doing these miracles that he, that he believes is, is, going to, is going to give him a better life now. So he says, he says to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. He comes up to Jesus and he says, I will follow you wherever you go. So this scribe, this Jew, he comes up, he's he comes to Jesus who's on this road, on this path, on this journey, and he says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, great, welcome into the kingdom of God. Super. Pray this prayer with me right quick. Or, or, or okay, let's get you baptized right away. Is that how Jesus responds when this man says, I will follow you wherever you go? It's not how he responds. He went to this very eager scribe, this disciple who says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he says, Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus responded and told him to follow him on this road, on this path. He was going to have to leave behind his, his comfort or leave behind his, his safety. Like we saw Matthew prayed just this morning and, and we saw in, in Luke nine twenty three, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus knew that this scribe was coming and saying, I will follow you wherever you go. We're going to Jerusalem. We're going back to, to, to make Israel great again. You're the king. You're the Messiah that's going to lead us out of oppression. I'm going with you. I'm going wherever you go. And, and like we know in, in the book of John, now when he was in Jerusalem, the pastor of many believed in his name when he saw the signs they were doing, that he was doing, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them. Because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. Jesus knew that this man didn't want to follow the way. He wasn't interested in the path that Jesus was on. He wasn't interested in following Jesus wherever he went. He wasn't interested in following Jesus to glory via suffering. He was interested in following Jesus who could provide some bread and some healing and make Israel great again. Jesus responded to this man's profession of wanting to be a Christian and explained to him following him would require losing his earthly comfort or his safety. Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Foxes were prevalent. And foxes would go out at night and they would hunt and they would kill and they would do what they'd do and they'd always have a burrow to come back to. They had a safe place to be. They could go do what they did. They could go out and, and do their stuff and they would come back and have a safe place to be. Birds, birds of the air, they'd fly around throughout the day and they would have nests to come back to. They'd have a place to come back to, a place of safety. Jesus had no safe place. He was, he was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. He was rejected, we just saw, by the Samaritans. He was rejected in Galilee. He's going to be rejected in Judea. He had no place to call home. He had no place to be safe. 
He was comfortable nowhere. His, his creatures had homes, yet the Creator had none. And his followers would have no safe place to call home. They would be rejected everywhere and anywhere. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't this this thing of, hey, I want to be a Christian. Hey, I've heard my, my life stinks and I heard Jesus can make it better. I want to be a Christian. Okay, great. Come on. As a matter of fact, come on, because when you come on, you'll even get more stuff. You'll have better homes. You'll have... You'll, have, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed with more things. It wasn't anything like that. He says just the opposite to him. Paul, Paul understood the loss of earthly, earthly comfort as a follower of Christ. Philippians 4.11 Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. What kind of situations was Paul in when he was on the way? Well, he was shipwrecked, and he was beaten, and he was imprisoned. He was beaten into, and where they thought he was dead, left for dead. He traveled around. He gave up his, his, his pomp position as a Pharisee. He, he knew something about this. But he says, I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. This first guy comes up and says, I will go wherever you go. I will follow you. I will keep on following you. Yeah? Jesus says to him, I have no place to be safe and comfortable. You still coming? I'm not going to give you what you're after. Our own lives and the lives of those we talk to, they may say, hey, I want to be a Christian. Make sure they understand what it means to be a Christian. Make sure the Christ they want to follow. You see, in Kenya, the Christ they want to follow most of the time when you meet a Kenyan is not the Christ of the Scriptures. They're not after the promises of God of eternity. They're after the, the Old Testament promises of God they want to cling to for a better life now. So the next person, the next disciple we know from, and by the way, we know this, but disciple doesn't mean a believer. It means a learner. The next disciple we hear about, in Matthew, we know in, from Matthew is a disciple, he is his he, he he's considering following Jesus on his road, his path, his way. And Jesus tells him, In order to follow me, you must be willing to forsake your temporal focus. Verse fifty nine To another he Jesus said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, he calls him Kurios, he calls him Lord. He says, Lord. First, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus tells this disciple to truly follow him, to move from a, from a learner to a believer. To be a Christian is different. So, so come and follow me. And the man, the man said, look, I've got to bury my father. Now, the man's father would not be dead yet. And we can tell by this, but we know this because in, in Judaism, you need to bury a dead person by sundown. Okay, it was very important. So his father's not dead. So he's saying something. I, I, need, to, I need to bury my father first. And there have been a, a couple of reasons that he might have said that. Because burying, for a Jew, burying a father was very important. One, it meant to get your inheritance. You needed to, you needed to stick around until your dad was buried and that you would get your inheritance. And another thing that went, a proper burial was very religiously important to the Jews. It was a very important thing. To leave a father unburied was scandalous. Or a mother. 
the duty of burial was was more important than temple service. It says in the Mishnah. The, the, the duty of burying a father was more important than killing a Passover sacrifice. It was more important than observing circumcision. It was a high priority. So what he's saying to Jesus is, look, either, hey, let me go and make sure my inheritance is order in order, or let me go and make sure I do this religious thing that I need to do. After all, Jesus, you've told me to honor my father and mother. Again, his, his father would not have been yet dead. So he says, Lord, so Jesus says, follow me. And he says, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus says, that makes sense to honor your father first. Go right ahead. Come back when you're ready. He doesn't say that, does he? Go ahead and take care of your religious duty. Religion is important. And make sure to get your inheritance and then, then come follow me. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, okay, sure, take care of your earthly affairs first and then get on this road to glory via, glory via suffering. Follow me when you want on your terms. I'm just happy you're willing to follow me. It's not how he responds, is it? No, he says, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Ephiemi to leave, to go away from, abandon. Abandon, leave these people. Leave them. Leave the dead to bury. The word there for bury is thopto, and it either means to bury or entomb, or to take one of care of one's father until death. The word was used in that way as well. So he says, whether it's bury him, but taking care of him or actually doing the burial, look, leave him, leave them, and let the dead, necros, the word necros, it means dead, futile, useless, or spiritually dead. His father's not dead. And dead people, physically dead people, could not bury a dead person, correct? So what Jesus is saying is, leave the spiritually dead to bury the spiritually dead. Leave unbelievers that are rejecting me. You don't, you don't stay. You don't not follow me that you can take care of them. This, this word for necros, we see it in Ephesians 2, 1. And you were dead, necros, in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love which he had for us, and when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Let the spiritually dead bury the spiritually dead. Let those practicing empty man-made religion practice empty man-made religion on their own. You don't need to go practice that with them. Let those who are dead to me, Christ says, let those who are indifferent to me, let them care for themselves. That's not your obligation. It's not your obligation to, to put off following me that you can do your religion, that you can do your inheritance gaining, that you can do whatever it is that you're after. Those who follow my path have work to do, not that work. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. If that's about inheritance, don't worry about your inheritance. If that's about your empty religion, don't worry about your empty religion. Those are, those are temporally focused things. Leave them. But as for you, you want to follow me? You want to follow me? Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. 
Don't worry about this dead religion. Don't worry about carrying out the Mishnah's plan of caring for a father and what, what, what men have decided what caring for a father and mother look like. Don't, don't do that. Instead, you go and proclaim diangelo to announce extensively and publicly to carry a message through announce everywhere through places through assemblies of men if you're going to follow me don't worry about your religion don't worry about your religious duty that you believe is right because some rabbi told you don't don't worry about your inheritance don't worry about your father who's rejecting me Instead, you go out and proclaim. You go out and extensively announce into the public. You carry a message everywhere. You proclaim what? The kingdom of God. You're going to go back there. You're going to go back there and you're going to tell them about sin and repentance and faith and forgiveness of sin. You're not going to go back to worry about getting your inheritance or burying him rightly by sundown. That's not what you would go back to do. You would go back to proclaim. So forget that stuff and you worry about proclaiming what? The kingdom of God. Follow me on the path to glory via persecution, trials, and and suffering and the forgiveness of sins. Don't keep in your temporal practices. Your, Your burial rituals or your inheritances. Following Jesus means an eternal focus. That includes proclaiming the kingdom of God. Hey, I want to be a Christian. Great. Come to church. Get fed. Have your life get better. Improve your family. Improve your your home life. Improve your job. Make more money. Be nicer to people. No, proclaim the kingdom of God. Take this message everywhere you go. I think it's really important. This this verse, listen to what it says. Another said, to another Jesus said, follow me. But he said, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and manifest with your lives the kingdom of God. Is that what he says? Go and make the earth a better place. Go and have a temporal focus on bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. He does not say that. Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Go and announce it. Speak it. Say it. There's a danger in Christendom of wanting to be a Christ follower that simply organizes their lives around the way of the Scriptures and then tries to organize their community around the way of the Scriptures and does not proclaim out of their mouths the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. That's what he says a follower of his will do. There's no question that followers of Christ desire to pattern our lives after the way the Scriptures would tell us to. We will do that. But that's not what he tells us to do. That's not what he tells this man to do who says he wants to be a Christ follower. He says, okay, forget this worldly stuff and go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Announce it. It's verbal. It's the only way this word can be used. It's a message that we're to take. He said, proclaim it. He did not say manifest. He did not say create it on earth. We are to proclaim, announce extensively, publicly, carry a message through, announce everywhere, through places, through assemblies of men, the kingdom of God. Proclaim eternity. Proclaim sin and repentance and the forgiveness of sins. Proclaim eternity. We are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
That's what a follower does. The kingdom of God is eternally focused. It is not temporally focused. This guy wants to hold on to his earthly focus. He says, no, you're not going to do the earthly focus. You're going to proclaim the kingdom of God, an eternal, a message of eternity. And it is to be proclaimed, not created. I gotta, I gotta care for these folks. I gotta do the stuff I gotta do. I mean, look, I believe it is right and good to care for our aging parents. But I believe it's meaningless if we're not proclaiming the kingdom of God. It might look good to people. They might appreciate it. They might then ask, why do you do that? What should I say? I do it because of the, the Christ Jesus, my King, my Lord, who has saved me. The hope that is in me has me to desire to care for my parents to the glory of God. Let me proclaim the kingdom of God to you. Not just, well, there's something different about the Reed family. I wonder what that is. Christ. Eternity. Not a temporal focus. A third person who wants to commit his life to following Jesus. But first he wants to go say goodbye to or to get the permission of his, his family. He wants to check in with them before he goes. Verse 61, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord. Again, I'll keep following you. I'm going to get on the path with you. I'm going to get on that road you're on. But, but, let me first say farewell to those at my home. I will follow you, Lord. But let me first say farewell to those at at my home. Jesus says, great. Family's really important. So so you go ahead and say goodbye to them and make sure they're okay with you leaving and make sure they're okay with you following me. And then you come on back and follow me. Or he he doesn't say, or does he say, hey, I understand. Go back and make sure they're all okay with, with you leaving. Make sure that's okay. I mean, it's okay. It's necessary that they're okay with you going to do what you're going to go do. You need to probably get their permission. I'm just, I'm just, again, I'm just happy you decided to follow me. It's not how Jesus responds. I mean, I honestly, what, what do we think? I mean, if, if it's us, somebody says, hey, I want to be a Christian, but first I got to do a couple things. I got to go check with my dad and my mom to make sure that's okay. I gotta go make sure they're they're handled. No, Jesus says, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. <laughs> he said, I want to follow you. I just want to go back and make sure everything's okay with the family. Just make sure they're okay with me going. And he answers and says, This is an eight hundred year old saying in Judaism. When you put your hands to the plow, you can't look back. And if you do, you're not fit for the kingdom of God. Simple picture. Hands on a plow. I need to plow straightly, yes? And I'm looking back, and what am I doing? I'm going crooked. Hey, I got my hands to the plow. I'm going to go that way. Hold on just a minute. I got to go back here and take care of some stuff. He says, no. You're going to follow me. You're going to follow me. You're going to forsake those that aren't coming with. You're going to have some relational problems. You want to... You want to follow me, but first you want to go back and make sure your family's okay with it or your family's okay? No. Family does not come 
first for the one who is going on the same road as Jesus. Later in Luke, we see Jesus' words. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Hate. The word actually means hate. Now, in Judaism, it meant love less. The word is hate, but to love less. Anyone who does not love family less than they love me is not worthy of me. Truly following Jesus may very well mean losing important earthly relationships. You cannot follow Jesus and cling to the opinions and the wants and the wishes of those who are staying behind. they're going to stay in the world and not follow let them go you don't need their approval you don't need their opinion you don't need to ask if it's okay that you follow Christ this is part of what the cost of following Jesus broken relationships with those who would keep you from following Jesus You have, we have, I have. We have people in our lives who want to keep us from following Jesus. And we we can oftentimes give them way too much play. Why don't you come to Elijah's tournaments sometimes, Papa? Because I gather on the Lord's Day with God's people. I gather to worship God. Of course I'm not going to go to your basketball tournament. Broken relationships with those who would keep you from following Jesus, that's one of the costs of following Jesus. 1 Kings 18.21 And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. And the people did not answer Him a word. Following Christ, following Jesus, costs something. Salvation is a free gift. Those who are saved have a life to live that will cost them much. And you're to count those costs. And that's why salvation is it's, it's, it's understanding what is it that one is believing about Jesus Christ. What are they willing to forsake? What sin are they turning away from? You see, the prevailing thought in the world we live in, it's not so much in here, but the prevailing thought in the world we live in is, hey, just come. Just come to Jesus. Just just come to Jesus. Try it out for 60 days. That's not the gospel. That's not Christianity. Just just come. It'll cost it'll cost you nothing. Just come. It will cost one to be on the path, the way, the road that Jesus took, that Paul took, that the apostles took, that every every Christian through all time has taken. True Christians understand that following Jesus is costly. We're truly following Jesus leads. Following Jesus will come with cost. Jesus is trying to give great cost, I would argue. It's no, it's no 
mild manner to forsake the world. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a minor thing to do. To turn from your sin, to turn to your lust, lust of the eyes and the, the lust of the flesh and the pride of life. But it's well worth it. Paul says this in Philippians 3. Not that I've already attained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We preach through this, and, and this language is extremely um, intensive. He's, he's talking about straining and straining and, 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 and working hard towards the upward call in Christ Jesus. And he's forgetting these things that are behind. And he goes through these trials and these struggles because he's looking to glory. And he's letting these things of the world go, and he's, 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 he's turning away from those sins. He's letting his life behind him go. Think of all of the family members that Paul has left behind. Think of the riches he left behind. Think of the comforts he left behind. But he says, I press on towards the goal. Let those who of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So an immature Christian needs to understand, continue to follow Jesus. Continuing to follow Jesus is continuing to forsake these things. Continuing to not concern ourselves with safety and comfort. Continuing to let the things of this world go. Continuing to have the willingness to forsake or lose relationships with people because they don't want us to follow Jesus. It's an ongoing thing. And, and for those that are mature, think like this. If you're not yet there, you're going to get there. Matthew nineteen twenty seven. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Peter still, prior to Christ's ascension, he's still wondering... What are we going to get for this? We've left everything. He was still thinking temporally. He was still thinking, we've left all this. What do we have to show for it? Where is our better life now? Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. All of this stuff, this temporal stuff, that you leave or forsake for following Jesus, you will inherit eternal life. It's not about now, Peter. It's not about coming to Jesus and following Jesus so that things change now. They're going to change for what the world would call the worse. Because on the way to glory, we're going to have trials and persecutions and struggles. The path that Christ was on had Calvary before glory. You're on that road, Christian. Hebrews eleven thirteen. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. Now we know the fully... fully more fully the promise than the, the Old Testament saints that the writer of Hebrews is talking about. But we still haven't seen what's ours in eternity. We still haven't seen Christ face to face. 
that he's all died in the faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having knowledge that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. You want to follow Jesus? You'll be a stranger and an exile on earth. This isn't your home. You won't fit. Being about the things of the world, that's the only way you're going to fit. But that's not what my followers will do. You're going to be an exile and a stranger. You're not going to make this land your own. You're an exile and a stranger. Our citizenship is in heaven. We await a much more glorious reality than the one we live in here. So is it the cost of following Jesus or the free gift of salvation? It's both of those things. Closing thought. While eternal life is a free gift that will cost nothing to obtain. Eternal life is a free gift that will cost nothing to obtain. Everyone in you who is not professing Christ as your Lord and Savior. Repent of your sins and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will be saved. Believe on Christ knowing you have no other hope and you will be saved. And you have to do nothing. You bring nothing. You offer nothing. You do nothing. No religion. No nothing. You believe on Christ and you will obtain salvation freely. One who has obtained will forsake the world and follow Jesus. There is no such thing as a follower of Christ who loses nothing temporal. There's no such thing as a follower of Christ who loses nothing temporal, nor one who gains less than everything eternal. If you're a Christian, it's cost you something. And what you've gained is everything. That's what it is to be a Christian. That's what it is to be a follower of Christ. You gain everything. And it will cost you things now. Christianity without cost is not Christianity. You don't have to go create the cost. It's going to come. Just just be a Christian. Just be a Christ follower. Just proclaim the kingdom of God. True belief is opposite of easy believism. Salvation is free. It's a gift of God. The way of Christianity is hard and narrow and difficult. But you're not doing it to earn anything because his yoke is easy. His burden is light. Salvation has been wrought. He paid it all. Eternal life is indeed free and following Christ is very costly on this earth. Don't think that Christianity comes without great cost. Dying to yourself is a cost. Having nothing to do with yourself is what the word actually means. Father, we thank you for the clarity that Christ spoke with. We thank you for the the truth of Christ having done it all, made a way for us to be made right with you through his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension. Father, that if one would see their sin and repent of their sin and have their faith in Christ alone, they would be saved. Father, help us to all know that that is when the way gets difficult. That is when the path becomes narrow. We thank you, Father, that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. All things we are called to help us to forsake the things of this world. Help us to be eternally minded. 
Help us to help those who profess Christ to count the costs. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hymn 377, May the Mind of Christ. 377.